you bastards. Why are you torturing me like this? Why? <laughs> to the Don't Split Up Horror Podcast. This is episode number 31, and we're going to explore The Evil Dead and the 2013 remake, which dropped the article, Evil Dead. <laughs> I am J.R. Foresteros. I'm Amanda Foresteros. I'm the Moza Haiti. <laughs> and I'm Stacey Silveri. <laughs> so, Mo, I couldn't help but notice you went ahead and picked up the article. Does that uh, spoil a little bit which film you prefer? I feel like if it was dropped, I should bring it back. I don't so i'm curious you know the evil dead is one of those classic horror films right it came out in 1981 uh it really changed the landscape of the horror genre but i think i might be the only person on the podcast who is even alive in 1981 that that is accurate okay so (laughs) and obviously my parents were not super into horror ever and i'm pretty sure that neither of them has ever seen the evil dead so none of us probably saw this when it first came out. I'm curious. I did. Oh, you did in, the, in utero? <laughs> Even before conception. I'm curious. Uh, I'm curious what your history with the franchise is. Like, when did you first become aware there was such a thing as the Evil Dead? Or maybe when was the first time you saw the original film? I was an early 90s uh, viewer. And I only came into it because I was told about Army of Darkness. So I started with the third movie in this uh, series and then went back and watched Evil Dead expecting an Army of Darkness-like movie. And boy, was I in for a surprise. (laughs) Yeah, I remember the same. Like, Army of Darkness came out in 1993, and I remember the poster for it, and I remember the trailer for it. And I remember I wasn't allowed to see it, but I remember thinking what a fantastic movie it seemed to be. Uh, And so, yeah, when I finally got to see it as well, if you've not seen all of the films in this franchise, the the second and third films, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, have a a dramatically different tone. Uh, And we'll be getting them in a future podcast. But yeah, uh, the first film is a straight-up B-horror movie. And the second two are much more like horror comedy. Absolutely. Stacey, what about you? Um, So I've seen each of these, I think, once... Um... Can't really remember how long ago it was, but I definitely the first time around didn't watch or pay attention very well. It's definitely doing a lot of hiding. Um, <laughs> so in the in the remake, I can rewatching the remake, I can understand why you know I I hit a lot and wasn't paying attention. But the original, it it kind of let me down this time around. Hmm. Interesting. Um. Hmm. Yeah, for me, I I think that I knew of The Evil Dead, but really, I believe it was once I met you, JR, because you were such an avid fan, and 
loved the entire franchise. And it was one of those things where anytime anyone would bring up, oh, remember that one thing from the Evil Dead, or they'd quote it or something, and I would have to shamefully be like, oh, I've never seen it. And then someone would be like, what? You've never seen that? JR, how could you never let her see that? What? Like, just create all the shame and and all of that. So I think finally I was able to see the first, the original, The Evil Dead, uh, right before the remake came out-ish. I'm Yeah, it was yeah. like the night before we watched Evil Dead 1 and 2 so that we could be ready for the remake. Because yeah. the remake sort of incorporates stuff from both of those first two films, which, again, we'll talk about this in a future episode. Two is basically a remake of one anyway. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I've, I finally got to watch all these films in college, and, of course, we loved them. They were staples. We watched all of them multiple times, and uh, I, I don't know. The first one holds a special place in my heart. It's, it's such a weird, weird movie, and uh, I, I really like it. So... Uh, how long had it been before you watched it to prepare for this episode? How long had it been? I think Amanda and I had not seen the original Evil Dead since 2013, so it had been a little while. I rewatched all of them last fall just in preparation for Ash vs. Evil Dead, um, and then I actually watched the first one again sometime this spring out of boredom. Um, I don't know. Bruce Campbell's a longtime friend, and so I just really like watching his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And Stacy, you said it had been a while for you, right? Yeah, I, I can't really remember how long it's been, at least a year or two. Let's just talk about, you know, when one of the one of the reasons this film has such a special place in the horror canon is that it it really upped the ante on gore. Uh you know, it came out in nineteen eighty one, and so if you think about that, we've had uh Black Christmas, we've had uh, the the dawn of the slasher era, right, with uh, Friday the 13th coming out also in 1981, uh, Halloween coming out, or 1980, I think. Halloween came out in 1979. So you have some gore is not completely foreign to the horror genre, but if you think about things like the Amityville Horror or Rosemary's Baby, even the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, those films largely scare by implication. And Shining, too. Yeah, The Shining, The mm-hmm. Exorcist. I mean, these films... Get, they create a lot of atmosphere, and they don't show you very much gore. Of course, you have all of like the splatter and the grindhouse films that do, but this, the Evil Dead, really brought all that together, and it it doesn't waste a lot of time before it just gets into all out, you know, dial turned up to eleven kind of full blown horror, and that was just it was pretty unusual for the time. So I was actually really analyzing that this time around because every other time, like I said, I came in with Army of Darkness, and while we'll get into that more in depth with the later podcast, um, it's very much a horror comedy, if mostly just comedy and a spoof, um, but you kind of get used to that in-your-face gore, and so I didn't really pay attention the first time around when I watched Evil Dead, Um, but this time, kind of analyzing it, I mean, it's aggressive. Like I would almost say it's borderline torture porn, um, except that they're really not holding anyone down to torture. It's just that when something happens, they escalate quickly. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. We, you know, one of the, I always remember the poster for The Evil Dead. It's, it's, it's really one of the iconic horror posters up there with like The Thing and some of those others. But you know, it's the hand coming out of the ground, grabbing the woman's throat, uh, and it says The Evil Dead. And they always include that quote from Stephen King uh, because he loved this movie. And they used his 
they used his praise to, to sell the film because Sam Raimi made this when he was 19. You know, no one knew who Bruce Campbell was. Uh, this, this film was a shoestring budget uh, and, and they had nothing. And so they were able to, they were able to use King's, you know, relatively recent stardom to catapult this movie and, and really get people to come out to see it. Well, and did it end up actually doing well in the box office? Like, did it I mean, well sort enough. of like the instant classic that it has now? It did well enough. I mean, none of these films did like, you know, bonkers at the box office, but I think it did better than The Thing, you know, which was a box office bomb. <laughs> so, one which of the things I'm surprising I because I feel like The Thing had to have pulled a lot of, um, uh, mind blank in here, but it feels like with the gore that you see in The Thing, they really had, you know, taken some of the things that Raimi had done into account. Yeah, I definitely I would I I think this film, The Evil Dead, really influenced the, the all the films that came after it. But yeah, I mean the thing bombed at the box office. It was one of John Carpenter's most painful failures. Uh, and this this movie obviously Raimi's done okay for himself uh, oh, directing the the Spider Man trilogy and the the mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz movie with Franco in it. And you know he's he's a name that is now a box office draw. So. So tell me what you thought of the you know the the film doesn't have a lot of plot. It's just five kids who go to a cabin in the woods and horror ensues. Uh, what did you think of the characters? What did you think of the plot? I like the movie, even and I know I'm one for backstory, but then again, like I said, I guess it's <laughs> unique because I watched it backwards. So I had Army of Darkness, which gives you a lot of that backstory going into Evil Dead. But even that, like, I like Bruce Campbell's character a lot, but I also really like Bruce Campbell. Um, I like the fact that he's kind of the sissy of the bunch, um, not your standard, like, I'm going to save you male, and yet he's the one, and spoiler, <laughs> outlasts <laughs> everyone, um, and is kind of forced into this situation. Um, I I was all right with kind of the lack of backstory in this one. That's the only time I'm going to say that, by the way. Yeah, I am so impressed that you're saying those things, because I feel like we could play multiple clips from our other podcasts of you being a hater on all We could almost that. make an entire podcast <laughs> of those clips. Um, okay. <laughs> no, I, I think there's enough going on here with, like, uh, the gore, the uh, scares, the suspense. Uh, I mean, like, I literally was cringing at several different point in times in this film, and I've seen it several times. See, I'm going to have to disagree. I don't know if it's because I watched the remake first, and there's definitely plenty of backstory and plot in that one that it just the lack of the storyline didn't work for me in this one. And I don't, the, I don't know. The gore didn't, wasn't enough to draw me in. Maybe it's just cause I'm younger and I just kind of missed out on like the glory days of it all, but it just didn't, the, the lack of the story and the gore went from like zero to a hundred. It just was a little overwhelming at times and then underwhelming at the other times. Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, parts of the film, I was also cringing, but in like a, ooh, this is so cheesy, or like, <laughs> oh, no. I yeah. mean, I I love getting to watch the film, especially now looking back on all of its accomplishments, how many different films have paid, you know, homage to it, and all those those kinds of things. The success, obviously, like you were saying earlier, JR, that Raimi has had, that Campbell has had, all those kinds of things. But I recognized that there wasn't much of a plot, but it was kind of cool to see how it sort of played out. 
I was taken out of the story a few different times, and I don't know if that's just because from a technical perspective, I kept picking up on, like, oh, Bruce Campbell has mud blood on his face, and then in the next scene, it's gone, and then it's back again, and then it's gone. But, like, reading through the IMDb page, you know, you you read about the history of this film and how literally their blood, sweat, and tears went into this film, you know, like... JR was saying, you know, it's a shoestring budget. Uh, They put in a bunch of collateral, I guess, on a lot of their earthly possessions just to get it done. Bruce Campbell did a ton of behind-the-scenes work, not just the the acting aspect. So, So I have a healthy respect for it. I just also don't have the same kind of love that that you, Mo, and and you, JR, have for it. So I, I... Go ahead, Mo. No, please continue. Well, I want to talk about Ash a little bit because, uh, you know, again, this is right in the era where the the final girl is being realized, right? I mean, we have we have Black Christmas, we have Halloween, we have Alien, and you mentioned earlier, Mo, that Ash is sort of the anti male lead, right? He can't absolutely exactly. Uh, he can't. Yeah, his his name is gender ambiguous which is a pretty classic final girl trope uh if you by the way if you uh if you go back and listen to our episode on the film the final girls which we paired up with friday the 13th we dive into this trope a lot more but that's one of the big hallmarks is a gender ambiguous name so we have ash which is short for ashley uh he can't shoot his girlfriend linda right which is uh you know he kind of chickens out at the last minute uh he's very nurturing to scotty after scotty gets hurt like he shows he's very like motherly to him and, uh, and he is the one who ends up vanquishing the evil and surviving. Uh, and it's, it's just very interesting that they do such a kind of a gender inversion of the lead male character, which at this point is very established in cinema, you know, by the early 80s. Uh, so I, I don't know, I was, I was really struck by that in a way I hadn't been in previous viewings of the film. Um, also, I, one thing that really did bother me was how interchangeable and identical the women were in the film. Uh, I, I had a very difficult time keeping straight their names. And, like, I couldn't tell you at this point any defining feature. Like, I could not describe one of the female characters, and, and you would know who I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Unless I say something like Asha's sister, right? Like I, or Asha's girlfriend. Like, I can identify them by their relationship to the male characters, but that's it. Like, they all basically acted the same. No, I, and I know them better by after they become these demons. Yeah, like how they die or how they act, right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, so that that bothered me, and I think, uh, again, something I hadn't really paid attention to until this round through the film was how, um, what's the word I want, cruel the film is towards females in general. Um when Shelly, which I think is Scotty's girlfriend, when she turns and uh, she's threatening Scotty, uh, he yells at Ash, hit her, hit her. Um, later, uh, when Linda turns, one of them says, shut up, you know, kill her, kill her, kill her. So there's all this, like, really violent language towards the female characters. And then, of course, there's the, the tree rape scene, which, we, you know, we have to talk <laughs> about. When I first watched this, I was much younger. That scene was 100% over my head. Um, it, it left no no lingering you know, feeling of, on me. Uh, this time around, and even like last fall when I rewatched it for Ash vs. Evil Dead, 
that scene is terrible. <laughs> terrible I in mean, what like, way? Like, like, does it, like, like terrible in even, the way that horror films are supposed to be terrible, or like actually like this is a bad piece of filmmaking? No, like terrible in the way that horror films are supposed to be. Uh, like, even as a male, like there was such a feeling of helplessness watching that scene. Um, like, I, I kind of felt like. I don't know, like, I could put myself in that shoes. Like, that was just horrible. Like, that scene is just uh, one of the creepiest scenes of that movie. I think what bothered me about it, and I'd be very interested to hear, Amanda and Stacy, what you think, um, is that because of all of the other violence in the film, towards specifically towards the female characters, that, that didn't seem like something that was really thought through and included... Um, to say something, it was more like, oh, let's just have this one person get raped because women get raped sometimes. Yeah, like, here's this horrific thing that could happen, but there's there wasn't really any other sexual horror throughout the rest of the film. Like, there was never a point where the characters used their sexuality, like, when once they became the, the deadites, is that mm-hmm. what they're called? Um there there wasn't any of that. It was a lot more of just the body horror, like cutting their arms and legs and things like that. So, well, I'll, although at that one point, one of their shirts gets ripped off. Oh, but that's when she's being raped, Yeah, actually, so yeah. never mind. I mean, it just made me super uncomfortable in yeah. all of the ways that you could possibly imagine. And ugh. Well, so I... Th- I think what bothers me about it is, you know, and I, I can't I can't separate the fact that for me, I know that the filmmakers and the writers were adolescent males. I mean, mm-hmm. they were in their teens when they started writing and working on this. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there was a particularly adolescent male perspective in this film. Like all of the women exist to simultaneously seduce and torture the male characters. And it was like the I mean, Ash and Scotty are the two who make it the farthest and are tortured the most. And even if you look at Scotty's death after he turns into a deadite, it's massively less um, gruesome and less uh, drawn out than mm-hmm. any of the female ones, mm-hmm. you know? And so it, it, I, I just, I couldn't escape the feeling that there was this like pent up aggression towards women that was sort of in the core of the film. Mm-hmm. And again, I'd never picked up on that before, but I'm also like a male. So um, I wonder if anyone's written a paper about that. I don't know. We should probably do some research. It's a good topic. Um, I, I definitely picked up on it right away. I feel like from watching the remake to the original, in the remake, I feel like it's more level, like a level playing field. Like the men and the women, I guess they're equal more or less. Like they don't suffer so much. Whereas in the original, it's all one-sided. The women pretty much get it all from like, the way they're attacked to their deaths, like you had just mentioned, the friend, the boy, he his wasn't so bad. He was trying to escape, and I don't know. They're definitely everything you're saying. I'm agreeing with, and I noticed, and like the rape scene in itself was just horrible because one, that's a horrible scene, but also because um, the like the sexual um, horror is kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, it's, and I think that's what it was for me, too. Like, placed in the larger context, it doesn't seem like, it seems like just one more bad thing to do to a woman. And the filmmakers seem to take some kind of, like, joy in putting the women through these things. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I don't know, I don't know, that just made me feel 
bad watching it and not in the way I think that they were wanting me to feel horrified. I see what you're saying. Like, after you describe it like that, I guess when I was watching it, like, my takeaway wasn't necessarily the direction the movie had gone or, like, the kind of persecution of women throughout the film, but more so the fact that, you know, already these horrible things are happening and then, like, unexplainable as well, and then now nature itself has come out to harm you. Um, and just that, again, the fact that she's completely tied down and, you know, by branches, like, there's just, I don't know. There's that yeah. feeling of helplessness again, is I guess what kind of got me, but I hadn't really looked at it from the perspective of, okay, yeah, this is just one more attack on women. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, like, it definitely changed my experience of watching it this time. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting. Raimi has said in, in recent interviews that he wishes he had not included that scene in the film. Um, and he's, he's blamed it on his perspective as a young male. Hmm. that he felt like he didn't really know why it was in there. It was more just like, hey, let's do this. This is cool. And not thinking about, like, the reality of rape for so many people. Mm-hmm. And 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 not – it's sort of like – I mean, it's sort of like fire or like a gun or something. Right? Like, it's a, it's a really, really powerful image. And if you just use it carelessly, it's, it's going to hurt people and not in the way maybe you intend sure. with a horror film, right? I'd seen this when I was so young, like that – child's innocence, you know, like that never occurred to me really even what's going on. And I think as I continue to watch it as an adult, like it just doesn't have that same impact. Right. Cause you like you, it was always there for you. Right. Yeah. One of the things I actually enjoyed a lot in the film and something that was notably missing from the remake was the, the demons point of view. Mm. Uh, not only in like, as the demon like moved through the woods, which is the now iconic sort of uh, uh, camera technique that, that Raimi pioneered. Uh, but also like we got a lot of, uh, we got a lot of shots like when Ash is hitting someone in the face with an ax or something like that. And it would flip around and be from the demon's perspective. So it was the, as though you were receiving the violence and you were looking from the de- through the demon's eyes out of the cellar or different places like that. And, and, uh, I, I thought that was fun and effective. I, I really enjoyed any time it would cut to that. Mm-hmm. Especially outside of the cabin. I mean, I know obviously going through the woods, but especially looking in through the windows, like I thought that was really, really well done. I also really enjoy, and it added just like this layer of of creepiness that I know was not intentional, but literally every time they cut away from the Deadite and cut back, their face looked different. Mm-hmm. Like they clearly had to redo the makeup and were not good at making it always look consistent. Mm-hmm. But that just, it, it just added a level of horror because it you felt like instead it was intentional and they were just like devolving and morphing like every time the camera moved away from them. <laughs> I thought it was so weird and gross and scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, let's do best worst. What was your favorite scare in the film? Or best sequence? I think one of the, like, it must be my best, just because it's the only um, scene that I clearly remember cringing. Like, I couldn't really turn away while watching it, but at the same point in time, I was begging Bruce Campbell to run away faster. Um, But it's when she reaches out and just starts clawing his leg. Um, Yeah. And not just, like, scratching it, like, deeply (laughs) clawing into his leg and shredding his pants um, just tearing into the flesh, like, and it continues for l- much longer than you expect it to continue. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know why, like, I, I think I just like that about Raimi, even in every one of these um, movies and Ash vs. Evil Dead, it just always goes above and beyond, and yet you find yourself unable to pull away. 
And this is from someone who cannot stand movies like um, Hostel or Saw after the first one, where it's just gruesome for gruesome sakes, yet for some reason when his movies, it works for me. Well, I think you're right to note it's not it's not the same thing as torture porn. I don't know. I don't know if it's because they're demonic or what, but it doesn't. Feel, you're right. It doesn't feel the same. But it's NC-17. Like they go all out. They've been <laughs> banned in multiple countries because it it's too gruesome and intense. I mean, I have. This is not from the Evil Dead, but I have a quote here from the showrunner for Ash vs. Evil Dead, and they said, I mean, this is him in an interview. He's like, well. We definitely, like, choked Bruce on liquid. He got waterboarded, but with blood. <laughs> and then, I mean, he's, they go on to say there's another instance where Bruce Campbell was literally blinded. Like, the, the blood and the gore that got into his eyes was so viscous that he had a hard time cleaning it out. And there was a temporary period of basically blindness from gore. I mean, they just go so excessive. Well, and that's something um, I was really watching for at this time, especially after I started noticing the women being the object of violence, because I've read in multiple places that especially on later films, the the Raimi brothers, Sam and his brother Ivan, who both work on these films, took great delight in torturing Bruce Campbell. Uh, and so anytime he's getting hit in the face, especially in Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, they're the ones doing it. Like, they're holding the tree branches. They're holding the little skeleton hands that punch him. So when we come back to Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, like, and that's something I think is interesting because, again, the first film, the object of the violence is, is these women. And then in the, in the later films, in, in Ash versus Evil Dead, it becomes Campbell. Like, he becomes the – Ash becomes the focus of so much of the violence. And that, so that's such much. an interesting – turnaround that I can't wait till we get to those films and and revisit this conversation well Well, it's just like the little pieces of this film like when he's I think he's down in the basement and he sees that rag or you know the blood dripping for that pipe and he continues to stare at it and in Raimi fashion it goes from the pipe to looking at Campbell and Campbell (laughs) looking to the pipe and you get this like three or four times until finally this pipe for no reason breaks open and literally drowns him in blood (laughs) yeah 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 I love Uh, that I don't think my best was one specific scene, like you had mentioned earlier um, about the windows and the the way he shot that scene. I thought personally that's was maybe the most scary in this movie, maybe build up the most tension was when they're looking out of the windows like, oh, I think somebody's coming and you get the perspective of the monsters coming through the woods. That was when I was most like it was the most cringeworthy part of this movie for me. Like nervous and just like, mm-hmm. what's gonna happen? Something's I, watching you. I wouldn't say that I was scared, like really scared at any one point in the movie, but that was definitely when I was most nervous for the characters. Yeah, I think for me, uh, a couple of the best parts, like one was when they were doing the cards, like guessing the cards, and then all of a sudden it just ramps up into pure insanity. Like at first you're like, oh, ha, ha, that's so funny. They're, she's totally not guessing the cards. And then all of a sudden it was like all of the cards and they kept changing. And then it was like, oh, no, something very wrong, very, very wrong has happened. Abort, abort, get out of here, you know. Um, I thought that was that was re- really well done. And then for some reason, I don't know why, but Linda, every t- like all of her giggles, they sounded so innocent at first, and then you Ugh. saw her face, and it was like, ooh, that is not innocent. She looks like a scary clown, and that's not good. And then, you know, Ash just kept being like, shut up, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> it just made me 
made me giggle. Um, you know, that that's kind of goes into mine. I, like you, Stacey, I didn't have like a single moment. But I think what really makes the Deadites scary to me, and this is something that persists throughout the whole franchise, is that they don't actually seem that intent on killing Ash ever. Um, they seem to want to torture him and drive him insane. Like the one that possesses Cheryl, his sister, the very beginning of the film, clearly can get out of the cellar anytime it wants to. It does, in fact, later in the film. Um, it clearly like just stays down there and hangs out just to torture Ash for no other reason than that, and just to drive him insane. And at one point he even says, like, why are you torturing me? Right? But So it seems like the Deadites have this sort of weird playfulness and they like it's all it's like a cat playing with a mouse you know um where where they just keep they they prolong suffering for the sake of the the suffering and the mental anguish and i think that uh that's pretty messed up and pretty scary mm -hmm. you know um so I, I i i don't know i enjoyed that a lot uh, my, my, if I had to choose a single scene that was my favorite, it was probably when he's burying Linda and they do the callback to the eyes open and eyes closed scene that they did when she got her necklace. Mm -hmm. That was just like a fun, <laughs> such a fun little callback. And Raimi's like focusing on the eyes has become such a signature part of his direction. Um, it was even in the Spider-Man films. So uh, I don't know. I just that that there's some like nostalgia wrapped up in that for me too. But I also thought. It was such a, a sweet moment in a in a film that has very few character moments. That was such a well done moment right at the beginning, and it's something that any couple has has like dumb little games like that that they play with each other. Um, and then to pay that off later, it just really like made that whole scene like a lot more messed up mm -hmm. and sad. Uh, so if I had to choose a single scene, that was probably that. Mm -hmm. So what about worst? Was there something that just really did not work for you? This film is tough for me. I mean, we've kind of talked about some of the silly little things, like the fact that the gore doesn't really stick around. Um, it's such a classic for me. Like, this was one of the first scary movies I chose to watch, even though I didn't realize it was scary. <laughs> so, it, it, no, I like this has a soft spot in my heart. It is hard because it's a B movie, right? And so, like, so much, so yeah. many of the things that are bad sort of work because they're bad like i think yeah. it's hilarious that the cabin the basement of the cabin is like four times the size of the cabin yeah right exactly. like why did they build this giant <laughs> this giant subterranean basement and then this teeny little cabin on top of it mm -hmm. um but that's hilarious like and it's it works i don't know i just think it's it adds to like the weirdness of everything yeah i was gonna say i don't really have a, a worst for this movie because like you said like all of the things that are, I guess, bad about it, make it work, make it such a good movie that if I had to pick a worst, it would only be in comparison to the remake. Um, That's fair. And I think if I did that, it would it would be the basement because I feel like the basement in the remake is much more creepy. It sets the tone for like the intensity of the movie and like the depths that the monster is going to get them where you don't quite get that in the original. Yeah, I would say the only thing like we were all sort of mentioning, it just took me out of it a little bit more whenever I could tell that some of the characters were 
all of a sudden wearing a wig that wasn't their hair texture <laughs> or like style as it was before they became a dead eye. I was like, oh, they have like a clown wig on that's just not rainbow colored or something. Um, like that just took me out of it a little bit. And again, I I appreciated the special or like the the use of practical effects and those kinds of things. But I was also just like, really, like we couldn't have tried just a little bit more. I mean, like, the, the contacts that they use where you can't hardly see their pupils or irises or anything, like, those were awesome. I was reading, uh, doing some research, and apparently all of the characters, they could only wear them for, like, 15 minutes at a time because it would mess with their eyes so badly. So they oh, would wow. have to, like, take breaks and stuff and take them back out. So um, so that those kinds of things I thought were really, really great. It, and, and especially once uh, they're, like, melting away and melting down, it, like, took me back to, like, Gumby and all these, you know, claymation old school films. Like, I loved it. I thought it turned – and, like, weird colors, you know, yellows and bright teals and all that kind of stuff. That but, took me back to, like, fifth grade science class. All I could think about during that scene was making a volcano and having mm-hmm. it erupt. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, so I would heartily recommend this film. If you've never seen The Evil Dead, you're missing out. Uh, it it is definitely a B movie from 1981, but it's great. What about you guys? Absolutely, absolutely. I'd recommend it. Yeah, I would say you have to watch it just because it's it's so iconic. Excellent. Well, that is uh, The Evil Dead. Let us know what you thought of the film. Uh, and now we need to hop over to 2013's. Articleless <laughs> Evil Dead. I can smell your filthy soul. Evil Dead was released in 2013. Sam Raimi produced it and handpicked the director, Fede Alvarez, uh, who, again, they, they were both the team that brought us Don't Breathe this year, the film we reviewed in our last episode. And the star of that film, Jane Levy, is also the star of Evil Dead. She plays Mia. And, uh, you know, one thing I think is important to note about Evil Dead is that they were hoping that this would have the same sort of revolutionary effect on the horror industry that the original film had. Uh, In the late... uh, late part of the first decade of the 2000s, horror films had gotten into a PG-13 rut. Uh, PG-13 horror, I mean, we're still largely in that rut. Most of the horror films that come out, even like The Forest and The Boy, I'm thinking of some of those terrible movies we have had to sit through, The Gallows, um, they're PG-13 because you can get a lot more butts and seats. You can sell a lot more tickets because uh, teenagers will be able to come to them, whereas if you've rated R, uh, you know, they have, uh, in theory, at least have to be 17 and over. And so you dial back on the gore, you do something like paranormal activity that's all implication, you don't show anything, uh, and a lot of the effects then become CGI or found footage, shaky, so you can't tell what's going on anyway. And Evil Dead had a mission to throw the middle finger up at all of that. Uh, They trumpeted the return of gruesome practical effects, uh, which means that, you know, all of the things that were happening were real. They weren't CGI things. They were all real uh, body parts or, you know, fake. They were obviously fake body parts, but they were actually physically present on the set. Uh, they weren't computer added later. So 
were you excited for this remake? I, I was, honestly, once I heard that Raimi was attached and Bruce Campbell had given his blessing uh, and, you know, Raimi was involved and handpicked the director and all of that, I, I had high hopes for the film. Uh, what about the rest of you? I'll be honest. I never saw it till now uh, because I had no high hopes. I really liked the original because it was kind of that B-list, quirky, not take yourself too seriously, but still kind of serious, scary movie. And when I saw the trailer for uh, Evil Dead, I almost articled it as well. Um, <laughs> I saw your your classic wet-haired girl or whatever in the woods, and I was like, all right, I'm out. Like, I, I don't want to see this. I feel like they're going to ruin a good thing. Uh, that was also from a more ignorant standpoint. I didn't know Raimi had his hand on it. I didn't know Bruce Campbell had given his blessing. I didn't know they were really kind of embodying the franchise. Um, and boy, were my preconceived notions wrong, because this film was amazing. <laughs> Now, let me just give you, uh, let me run down some of the movies that came out in 2013 that were horror films. This is when we got The Conjuring. Mm. Oof. Mm. Uh, did you all see Mama? Mama. Yes. Oh, I definitely did not, but my sisters did, and they continuously joke about Mama coming to get us. <laughs> it was uh, so good until the end, Mama. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Uh, Insidious Chapter 2, Carrie, mm. the Carrie remake came out this year. Uh, Warm Bodies, the Texas Chainsaw 3D remake. Um, that's about uh, the first Purge film came out in 2013. The very poorly named Last Exorcism Part Two. Uh, so it was uh, it was a decent year, but most of those films that I just named were rated PG or uh, PG-13. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you have into into this. Into this group, uh, grouping of films, you have the Evil Dead drop. So, uh, Amanda, what, Stacy, what did you think of this film? I was super excited because I had nightmares just from seeing the trailer alone. I was like, "Oh snap! This freaking movie is gonna mess me up for like years afterwards." There were multiple times where I would even have to look away in the trailer. Like that's when you know it's rough. So, yeah. I, I definitely have to agree with Amanda. The trailer pulled me in for this one. Um, I didn't know when I first saw the trailer for this that there was this was a remake. Um, so I really didn't have like any preconceived notions. I didn't realize like the impact that The Evil Dead had on the horror genre. Um, but I thought it was phenomenal and I was very excited. But I'm also kind of wondering if the fact that it released with such the other horror movies that year, it... it they weren't very good, so does it being released with like mo- movies that aren't so good, did that make it better? What? Or is it just good on its... I mean, it's obviously good, but does the fact that it was released with like, I'm, subpar I'm movies... I'm just here to disagree with you with the subpar movie concept, because The Conjuring scared the crap out of me. Well, yeah, That's I mean, true. The Conjuring definitely, you know, and that was probably rated R as well. That was very scary, but JR did say most of them were PG-13, so the fact that they could go you know, as scary as they could with it being rated R, did that make a difference in the success of it? Hmm. Uh, the Conjuring was rated R and Carrie was rated R. Um, I think mo- uh, The Purge was rated R. Mm-hmm. I think. Actually, but that's just because check. most of them, like, they were just really bloody, too. Yeah. Um, the- Carrie, obviously, yeah. This, this film, unlike The Evil Dead, we get a weird cold open with a girl who turns out to be a deadite, 
and her father burning her alive to cleanse her soul, and it turns out to be in the basement of this cabin. Backstory. Um, yeah, except it wasn't really backstory. It didn't really affect the story of the film in any way. It gives you more than the original did, though, because when they're drawn toward, like, when she starts complaining of the smell, and everyone's like, nah, you're just going through some tough times, like, there's no smell, and then that other guy's like, well, maybe there's a little bit of a smell, and then they're drawn down there. It's a little bit more than, oh, hey, by the way, we found this book, because now you're privy to something previously going down, someone being possessed, um, you you know more. I, I would argue that it's actually a significant addition. I totally disagree. In the first film, the cellar door flies open. We clearly know it's supernatural. They go down and investigate. They find the book. They find the tape player. The tape gives us all the information we need, which is that an, ar uh, an archaeologist brought this to the cabin and unleashed demons. Yeah, but I thought it was a fun intro. You got all that concise with a mini story. Yeah, and it was just really creepy. The people down there, they were very creepy. They looked like mannequins, but in like a weird, twisted way. It also set you up for the movie. You knew kind of what to expect, and it got you in the right state of mind to truly enjoy the movie. I Man, I really hated it. I'm surprised you all liked it so much. <laughs> I felt like it was giving way too much away way too quickly. Hmm. Because at that point, it was already clear there was something clearly supernatural going on. And without the cold open, there's nothing definitely supernatural happening until Mia comes out with the gun and then speaks in the different voice. Everything up to that point could be uh, believed to be going on in her head as a result of her withdrawal. Even the tree rape? Yeah, she could have hallucinated that. Ugh. Especially when she's crawling through the branches. Like, it's not nearly as clear as in the original film that the tree is grabbing her. Like, it kind of could look like she was getting tangled up in the vines. Hmm. So are you arguing that you wish the movie would have gone the direction and played more on the fact that she could have just been kind of going crazy from the I, ritual? Yeah, I would, up, until, up until they made it clear that she wasn't. I liked the ambiguity, except there was no ambiguity because of the cold open. As the viewer, I enjoyed knowing that she was suffering, but fully, un or like from a paranormal perspective, but understood like completely why her group of friends was like, "No, nah, this is just Mia going through another withdrawal." Like I, I liked having both sides there. The backstory nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, shockingly, I'm not a fan of backstory. Um, so I thought it was interesting that in this one, uh, the there is this clear addiction storyline, mm -hmm. right? Like they're not just five friends going to a cabin for a weekend. They are there to purge Mia of her metaphorical demons. Hmm. Wah, wah, wah. Um, and then the cabin belongs to their family. So that's the other thing the cold open does is it establishes how come in this family cabin the Necronomicon got in there. Which, again, I think it's way scarier to just be like, we don't know how it got in there. That's messed up. Like, who knows? You just like to ask questions. I think I think ambiguity is scarier than knowledge. Hmm. I'd agree, See, in this I'd, case, I'd agree like, with that. But I, I don't disagree with you, JR. I just think what they did really worked. And I loved the fact that we knew that Mia was being honest and that she needed to get out of there. And at the same point in time, I understood why no one believed her. And that, okay. to me, like that frustration build added a lot to it. And it, when they um, got to the point where the one girl was like, Mia, 
we're leaving you here. I was like, no, you can't leave Mia here, but Mia's telling the truth. Like, <laughs> like that, I was, I was on Mia's side there. I was like, oh God, you got to convince them. Like, uh, talk to your brother. Like, but at the same point in time, like almost as if I was in her shoes, like I, I understood why he, no one was going to listen to her. Like everything she was saying was like this desperate addict, you know? And like I, that, that a hundred percent worked for me. Whereas if I think I was spending the whole movie curious as to whether or not she really was um, experiencing those things, I, I don't think I would have got the same uh, effect. Not the whole movie, just the first half. Regardless. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about this, uh, yeah, this addiction storyline. The evil manifests itself as the undead or the dark version of Mia, basically from the beginning. Um, we see that figure running past the house. We see that figure out in the woods when Mia tries to run away. That figure makes Mia crash her car into the swamp. And then that figure vomits out a some sort of tree penis slug that <laughs> that impregnates Mia with evil. Oh, my God. Cool. Well, I was really scared of her until you said that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, again... I I lost something when they showed her. I, I would have I I liked the invisible demon moving through the woods. You don't know what it looks like, so you can't know where it's coming from. Does it just look like a tree? Is See, it invisible? Ugh. I would I, say ninety percent of the time I agree with that, not knowing or seeing the monster. But this monster was so terrifying and like unnerving that anytime she was in the film or in a scene in this movie, I was uncomfortable and was scared for what was going to come. I completely agree, Stacey. I was just going to say she's so, she's so haunting and so unnerving, her yellow eyes and like, oh yeah, I'm definitely going to be seeing that in my sleep. <laughs> I, I had a hard time going to sleep after watching that film. Um, I definitely left Avengers Age of Ultron on the TV while I fell asleep. Um, <laughs> I, she was the reason I didn't want to see this remake when they first did the previews, uh, and yet when I watched the film, I had no arguments against that addition. Uh, I th- and again, uh, surprisingly, I think it went back to that beginning part, because seeing her transform from the daughter begging for her dad's help to this demon that was screaming and cussing at her father while she was being burned alive by him, uh, it just set a different tone. And yeah, I, I found her extremely creepy. Yeah, I guess the problem, the reason it didn't work for me is because she's she's clearly meant to represent Mia's in like the externalization of her fears about herself. Like this is what happens if she can't kick this drug habit. She becomes this like force that is destroying her whole family, much in the same way her mother's mental illness destroyed her and her brother. And yet this thing is a real thing. It's not just her own fears. So, you know, why does it choose her in the first place? Why does it choose to manifest itself as her if it's, if it's more than just an externalization of her own fears? Uh, and I, I didn't feel like the film gave us enough to understand that because we were seeing that figure before the evil is even unleashed from the book. So I just didn't understand. Whereas, again, in the original film, it's clear that the words have already, the book's already been read and the evil's already loose by the time they show up. 
But here, if it's more than just Mia's own subconscious playing tricks on her or giving life to her fears, I just didn't understand all of that. Other than, again, it sets up this payoff at the end where she has to, like, fight herself and the addiction metaphor becomes painfully literal. But isn't she also just happened to be the one that's outside when he starts reading the book? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, but but we had been seeing evil Mia before he ever started reading the book. I I, I don't know. I guess that just... we just seen yeah. like a couple flashes of her, but we did see her. Like she was clear. Like we were meant to recognize that this is the same figure that we've been seeing in little flashes. But it was always from her perspective, her looking out. That's what I mean. So. So what if we would have seen Eric looking out into the woods? Could would we have seen an evil Eric? Apparently not, because the monster was evil Mia. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like it, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't make sense. And I wish they hadn't shown her. It 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 made it it made it like a little a little more confusing for me. Could I mean I guess to me I just kind of saw her as the susceptible character as well though she was already the one struggling the already. Kind She'd of already pleased. died once, right? They make a big yeah. deal out of yeah. that. She was the one kind of closer to the world of the dead. Sure. That, that's kind uh, of what I took from it, Mo, was that she was just like the easy target in the situation. So that's where the evil went to. I guess I'm kind of confused, JR. And are, are you being nitpicky here, or do you like, is this a big beef for you on this film? Uh, not a big beef. I just, again, it was part of what I enjoyed about the original film so much was that, like, that you never knew what the demon looked like. And it was almost as though the demon didn't really have a form until it possessed someone. But in this film, again, it, very much literally, before. It, it clearly had a form, and that form was Evil Mia. But apparently that was the form it had always had? But wasn't that just the form of the girl that it had taken from the basement? No, it was Evil Mia. I don't know. I guess I was scared enough that I, I didn't invest too much time into that. <laughs> I know that's right. Uh, what did you think of, the, you think of the, the reinterpretation of the tree rape scene? Still terrifying. Uh, this one left very little room uh, for it to go over your head. <laughs> it was... She's not she's not stripped naked in this one. And it's, again, it's her, sort of, so it's more like, it's lesbian. I don't know if that's supposed to make it more feminist. Yeah, there was, there but... was nothing lesbian about that weird tree slug penis, as you described <laughs> it. No, but I, I mean, the fact that it came out of evil Mia's mouth. Yeah, you know, no, I understand like, what you're saying there, but... Um, yeah, no, I, I, f- I found it to be no less violating, and if anything, more so. Um, it was graphic. Yeah, there are a ton of think pieces out there about this scene and why it was left in the film and whether that was a good decision or not. And there's some really intelligent commentary on both sides, but I would have been happy if they had done something different. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't feel like that paid off in any significant way mm-hmm. later in the film. So no, I didn't think like the whole impregnating her type, you know, vibe. Uh, yeah. At yeah. that point in time, I was already convinced that she was going to be <laughs> possessed. So it was unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. So what did you make of the characters in this film? I mean, we have now Mia and her brother this time have have a pretty tragic backstory where he's the guy that left. And so now you have Olivia and Eric and Mia who are still kind of from home who all are bitter towards David for leaving. And then David and his new girlfriend, Natalie, who have all kind of come together to help Mia detox. Did you feel any different about any of these characters? Yeah, I, I felt like the 
everyone wanting to leave Mia, um, kind of this tough love scenario. It, it wasn't as aggressive as the first film where they're like, nah, screw it. Um, let's just kill them. <laughs> like they, they seem to be evil now. Like even when the the kind of nerdy guy is like, hey, like I'm, I'm worried this is not just a detox. Like I think this has to do with the witchcraft. Like there's still like care for the other people. Um, although eventually they do start to be like, hey, uh, the only way we can solve this is by killing her. Um, but no, I, I felt like I, I was much more sympathetic for these characters versus the original. I felt like Bruce Campbell's character is the only one you really cared about. Yeah, because in the original, yeah. Scotty was the actual worst. Yeah, yeah. he was yeah. so annoying. Like, if he had died first, I'd have been super fine with that. I mean, Eric was also <laughs> the worst because he's the whole reason that the demon came back. Yeah. Sure, but he... Curiosity was his sin, whereas Scotty was, like, a truly terrible human being. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Like, Eric was generally... I mean, he was a school teacher. Like, what do you expect him to do when he finds a book? Nerd? I mean, read it. not read... So, <laughs> not read it out loud, No, ever. do yeah. not... Yeah. I, there There's was many creepy sounds. things in the book that said don't do this, and I get that if curiosity eventually wins over, you're the school teacher, you want to read it, you want to investigate, but is Resist really the little. creepy woods in the middle of nowhere during the storm the place that you should do that? Why not wrap it back up, take it back into town, and, maybe a local museum, I don't know. back in barbed wire, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, read it at the local library in the middle of the afternoon. Like, I feel like that's the route you want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, don't take me camping with you, because I'd read that book. I, <laughs> JR. You would only see my taillights, buddy. You would not have the first sentence out of your mouth. That's cool. I know the like, bridge is busted, Mo? so. Mo? <laughs> I appreciated the fact that you could tell all three of the girls apart very easily this time. I mean, they were all very attractive females, but they at least had different color. No, Mia said that she looked ugly in one scene, so that means she did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I liked all of the characters. I thought they were good. I mean, I had completely forgotten about all of the stuff with the nurse uh, Olivia. Olivia and her, her whole bathroom scene and Oof. oh gosh I had forgotten so much of that and now it's in my head for a very <laughs> very long time um, yeah I also enjoyed these characters and I felt like in this movie it's it was more about all of the characters like individually and as a group together where in the original it was just about Bruce Campbell's character Mm-hmm. He was like the sole main character where in the, the remake it was the five of them together. So they were it was a little more easy to relate to them and get behind them and mm-hmm. I, I think they all did a really good job. Uh, what do you think was the the most gruesome death? Eric's because it took the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was impressed at how badly they tortured him. Yeah. Like, yeah. every time I was like, oh, finally, this poor bastard's just going <laughs> to die, he would wake up, and then another deadite would come in and harass him some more. Like, when it got around to the nail gun, I was like, you poor bastard, you're probably going to live. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely was questioning that also. I felt like he suffered a little more than than needed. I don't know. He read the book. That's called karma. True. True. Yeah, I don't know. I was just so trying to think. JR. I was just trying to think of of who was the most gruesome. Was it carving your face out, or was it chopping off two of your arms and shooting a nail gun in your face? 
I mean, yeah, Mia had weird. like her, half of her body burned and all kinds of other rough stuff, like the slit open top. They're they're all bad. I I can't. <laughs> yeah. The uh... I liked, I really liked the throwback to Evil Dead 2 and the opening of Evil Dead 3, uh, where it got in the hand and he had to, went bad and he had to yeah. lop it off mm-hmm. of the wrist. Yeah. <laughs> and that girl went to town on her arm with a turkey carver. Oh, yeah. That was terrible. And then she was like, ooh, I feel so much better. And it goes plop, splat on the ground. I was like, ooh. I think, I really think that honestly was the best scene for me in this entire movie. That whole sequence where she Mia's calling her like I'm okay, like I'm okay, I'm I'm safe. And she walks down the stairs and then she gets bit by Mia and then she realizes she's infected, so she like comes to the conclusion she has to cut her arm off. And then while she's thinking about it, Mia's like head is peaked like peeked out from the trap door, like, don't do it. That I was so uncomfortable and scared I had to pause <laughs> the movie at that scene and just take like a breather and calm down. Mm-hmm. That was the best war scene for me. Mm-hmm. I think for me it was Olivia, uh, the sequence with, you know, going into the, the bathroom. It was so well teased with the book, and you, like, know what's coming, but you don't know. And then, uh, Eric, I almost called him Scotty, Eric walks into the bathroom, and you hear her mm-hmm. carving on herself, and you know what she's doing because the book already told you what she was doing, but you still can't see it yet, and you just listen. And, like, he takes so long to get to her and the lights flickering and flashing and the whole there's so much tension in that scene and then when you see what she's doing like it's worse than you thought Mm. it was at least worse than i thought um and then how she just comes after it you know uh and that whole sequence with the needle and the the toilet so bad yeah like i and when she's just like stabbing him with the syringe Uh, uh, he has to pull it out afterwards yeah yeah, yeah. like that was that was just off, and again, it's all practical. Like they did all of those mm-hmm. things. So they stabbed um, him in the face with a needle. And I mean, there was a real needle in a real, some kind of an actual face, whether it was a real human face or a dummy face. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's. It, there was no CGI in that kind of stuff. You know, it was it was. I just found it. No, the Raimi influence on this film was fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, man, it was your best. All of them. <laughs> That's unlike you, Amanda. I, I know, right? I, honestly, I think that the only one, it was it was just the brother, that he just died by flame, basically. I mean, obviously, he was injured a few times, but not nearly to the same degree that everyone else did. So he, he got off pretty easy. And he didn't become a dead eye. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We didn't I see also... dead eye Ash Jr. Mm-hmm. My best is also tied with the end scene with Mia. Uh, the reason it doesn't take number one is because she didn't actually use the chainsaw to get rid of her arm, yeah. as I was hoping she would. Oh, uh, yeah. But watching her pull her arm apart oh, was very difficult to watch. Most definitely. I just loved the sort of the redemption of her character in the end. Like, that's probably one of my favorite parts. Obviously, I'm a girl. I'm all about girl power. And so the fact that she's our protagonist, even though... You never thought she was going to make it through the whole thing anyway. Like, I just, I, I very much appreciated that and was rooting for her, obviously. I thought it was good. What was your what was your worst? Was there something in a film that just didn't work for you? I think when the guy read from the book, uh, I really didn't like that because that's silly. Hmm. Not believable? <laughs> 
No, I'm just being an ass. Uh, I, this movie was great. I'm trying to think if I could be nitpicky on this one. I, I went into this with such low expectations and was literally blown away. Um, well, something um, that didn't work for me is, and I mentioned it already, but I, I missed the playfulness of the Deadites from the first film. Like in this one, it was clear that, no, actually all they want is to kill you. Like they want you dead so that it, the thing can collect five souls and come out. And so the like the closest that they got was when Mio was taunting uh, her brother in the cellar. Uh, and it was like brief and it was sexual more than it was funny. Uh, and that was it. Like that was all, that was all there was. Uh, most of the rest yeah. of it was purely around uh, killing them. Mm-hmm. That and, and so, the backstory. And I agree with you, actually, Jaron, now that you bring that up, because that girl kind of is the same way when she's teasing and taunting her dad and then goes kind of evil and is cussing at him. Um, and you, we get more of that backstory in Ash vs. Evil Dead, but these demons really are supposed to be like a trickster-style demon. Like, their whole thing is to kind of torture and uh, play pranks while yeah. right, simultaneously killing in the most gory possible way. I thought it was a callback to The Exorcist, like, and just how mm-hmm. she would say different things and manipulate the scenarios and, and, and act very innocent and then obviously rope you in and get you good. I will also say my other worst was when Evil Mia said, I will feast on your soul. And I was like, it's just not the same as, I'll swallow your soul! Like, <laughs> which is not from Evil Dead 1, it's from Evil Dead 2, but clearly that line was a callback and I was like, nah. Doesn't work. Yeah, I wish that I believe they the feast from your soul is from Army of Darkness. It's still like it just wasn't. It didn't work for me. Yeah, I was yeah. sad that they didn't do the whole "We're gonna get you." Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, didn't do they that. did the nursery rhyme thing mm-hmm. that the mom sang to them, but it didn't have the same effect right. at all. And right. yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I miss the playfulness. Well, and I I think that comes from the Alvarez versus Raimi because. Even though number two is a spoof and, well, like, a, you know, of the number one and number three is its own entity. But even number one, uh, The Evil Dead, it's got that quirkiness to it. Um, yeah. It's almost like it doesn't take itself seriously, where the, as this one definitely went full seriousness. Like, it was, oh, yeah. it, it, they weren't, I don't think they were trying to go for that. Um, and I, while I agree with you, I enjoy that. I don't think it lost for not having it. I agree. I feel like if they tried to go with the joking and the funniness, it wouldn't have worked as well in this movie as it did the original. No, I think it would have made it tone. so much more disturbing. It's it's sort of, for me, like the difference between the Joker and any other villain. It's like the Joker doesn't want to kill Batman. Like, he likes playing with him, and that's so messed up. And it's the same thing here. Like, I understand, like, there's a monster who wants to kill you. Okay, whatever. Like, yeah. Nope, this monster actually wants to drive you insane. It doesn't want to kill you. It actually wants to mess with you and maybe kill all your friends, but only because it's trying to mess with you. And, like, that to me is so much scarier. And when you never – I think that's why that's why Evil Dead 2 was such a good progression from the Evil Dead because – the line between horror and we've talked about this before. The line between horror and comedy is like a weird line to try to draw, mm-hmm. and and I think that can actually be pretty scary um, when it's done well. And I think the I think the original The Evil Dead did it very well. 
and this film didn't even try, as you already mentioned. And I, I don't know, I would I would have liked to have seen them try. Well, there was supposed to be a really epic uh, team-up of Ash and Mia in some kind of, like, super crazy movie, like Evil Dead 2 something-something, but apparently that's not going to happen anymore because of Ash versus Evil Dead. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, they were pretty far into production on a Freddy versus Jason versus Ash film, and Raimi, Raimi actually called them and said, hey, the Ash character is mine and I'm not done with him. And that's why that film never happened. Which, again, can you imagine how awesome that would have been? That movie would be spectacular. <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't know if I've gone on record on this podcast. I loved Freddy vs. Jason. I thought it was that fantastic. Yeah, it was so great. And yeah, it was. It's the perfect universe to insert Ash into. Uh, mm-hmm. But I love. I, I won't complain because I love Ash vs. Evil Dead so much. So I'm glad Raimi kind of protected the Ash character. Um, so. Yeah. But real quick, could you imagine a world that has both Ash's humor and Freddy's, uh, Freddy's humor? <laughs> like, Freddy Twisted alone world. with Jason, I laugh so much in Freddy vs. Jason. Like, yeah. I can only imagine if you throw Bruce Gamble into that mix. Yeah, so good. Oh, man. Would you recommend the... Uh, would you rec- <laughs> Would you recommend... The Moza Haiti would recommend Evil Dead. <laughs> We should just bleep out every time we say the in this yeah. entire podcast. <laughs> I definitely would. I would heartily recommend it. Be prepared to get real grossed out and be real creeped out. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Yeah, I would definitely dec- recommend this movie as well. Yeah, I uh, I was surprised how much I still enjoyed it a second time through. I was worried that it would lose some of its luster. And, you know, I... I said my complaints, but overall they're pretty minor. I think if you were a fan of the original film, there's a lot to recommend in this one. I spent most of the film incredibly tense. Uh, Once the evil hits in full force, like I said, that scene where Mia brings the shotgun out, uh, it really ratchets up and doesn't turn back. And there's some pretty harrowing stuff throughout the the last two-thirds of the film. Yeah, speaking of the ratchet part, like the thing that they do with their necks just... So oh, bad. Poor, poor Eric. No. I do have to ask if the if the two of you, Mo and Stacy, stuck around after the credits. Should I have? Yes. Yeah. No, I I missed that. Well, that's too bad. Go I back. Mean, We're not going to spoil it for you. Do I want to watch this? <laughs> oh yeah, I've got it with Stacy. <laughs> no, you definitely, definitely, one thousand percent want to watch it. It's hashtag worth it. Alright. Do you want to see more films in this Evil Dead universe? Yes. Yes. Yeah. But I'm going to asterisk that. I want Bruce Campbell. <laughs> That's not this Evil Dead universe, Mel. How do we know? Yeah. What do you mean, how do we know? It's a, it's it's not... Ash is not in this universe. He could be. He could be. He's pretty he just limitless. There. Now you're all talking crazy. It's a crazy. possibility. <laughs> It's definitely not a possibility. Different cabin, different Necronomicon, different universe. Uh, the Necronomicon also, is all powerful. Call it the Necron- if it could, if it could pull them into the past, it could pull them into this other dimension. You're I would, to stop being an ass, I would happily watch another movie without Bruce Campbell set in that universe. With one-handed Mia and her chainsaw? Mm-hmm. Yes. Stacy? Oh, yeah. 
Has there been any talk of Alvarez getting to do that? Like, kind of, because they, the way they talk about this film, it's part reboot, part part fourth, you know, installment. There's room for, you know, leaving a B or there's room for continuing. And if they were to pursue, would you want to see them go Evil Dead 2 like they did originally? Or would you like to see something new and fresh? You know, I, I don't think they could do an Evil Dead 2 that's spoofy. Because that was so completely absent from this film. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, like we talked about with The Evil Dead, it was already in there. Um, the Deadites were already, like, funny in a really messed up way, but they were funny. That w- There was none of that in this film. And so if they were to do a, a direct sequel or even, like, a remake sequel, like the original Evil Dead 2 was, um, and they, they went that way, it would it would truly be coming out of nowhere. So I don't think they could do that. I think, I think they'd have to figure out something else to do with Mia and that their version of the Necronomicon. So Mia returns to the cabin to finish it once and for all. Maybe that, or yeah, again, other people come to the cabin, or uh, who knows? I mean, we don't even know if she's going to make it away from the cabin. You know, she's staggering off into the woods, holding her bleeding arm. So Which, I mean, they leave the original though, whereas you think Bruce Campbell's on his way out. Right, yeah, the the demon swoops in on him right at sunrise, right? Comes through the cabin and and grabs him. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I'd like to see something, but I don't know if we will. This film didn't do tremendously well at the box office, and it got kind of of middle-of-the-road critical reviews. I'm surprised. Even IMDb, uh, shout-out to Chris Hall. That's all he uh, uses to rate films. uh, Gave it a 6.5, and I felt that this film was better than that. Mm -hmm. Like, significantly. Well, I think you get... I think you're facing reboot-itis there. There yeah. are a number of folks, especially in the horror community, that just pre-hate anything that's a reboot. Um, well, and especially with yeah. the direction Hollywood's gone. Like, we hardly get anything fresh. Everything's about right. taking the old and making it new. And you saw what happened when they made the Ghostbusters females, and now that they made Ash female, you know, just no good. One last thing, guys, which I just think is crazy is that, according to reports in the press, the film used 70,000 gallons of fake blood, which in the original they used 200 to 300 gallons. 70,000 in the entire film, and in the last scene alone they used 50,000 gallons. Uh, I was just about to say that final scene is raining blood. So in order to do that, I, I guess I could see that. But take away that rain scene, and I would not have guessed that they used that much more than the original. And well, they used no 2% milk, either. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we are about out of time on this episode. Uh, next time, we're going to watch the new Blair Witch sequel called The Blair Witch. Boo. Am I the only <laughs> one excited about Peter. this film? I'm excited, I'm JR. Literally maybe in the world, JR. Stacy and me, that's it. Plus Stacy. All right. Well, uh, Stacy and I are super excited. We'll see if we'll see if it can win over Mo and Amanda. Definitely and... not. <laughs> Hashtag You're not even going to give it a chance? Mm-mm. No chance. Cruel. <laughs> and uh, then we're going to watch Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness and review those for our next uh, back catalog episode. Mm-hmm. So go ahead and watch those if you have not. Uh, you can let us know what you thought of The Evil Dead and Evil Dead on don'tsplitup.com or facebook.com slash don'tsplitup. Thank you, as always, for listening. And until next time, whatever you do, 
Don't go to that cabin in the woods with all your friends. And if Only you do, read that book JR. if it looks really cool. <laughs> and don't split out. Join J.R., Stacey, Amanda, and Mo to discuss blood, guts, horror, and gore. In our podcast, Don't Split Up, where we discuss horror movies and how great or not they are. Because as you know, in every horror movie, the first rule of survival is never leave your friends. So don't split up if you want to make it to the end. No, don't. Don't split up. This place is huge. No one take the back porch. Scream if you see anything. That won't be hard. But in observation of this loaded moment, I am not in favor of splitting up, nor am I three days from retiring. I will not be right back. So the uh, I almost said it again. 